Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's word and consider how it applies to our lives. Just curious, how many of you, as you were in your elementary school days, how many of you had that one kid in class that was just so disruptive? Maybe it was you. <laughs> I don't mean to call you out, but if it was you, see me afterwards. I want to under- compare notes. But I, In my first grade class, there was this one kid who constantly shouted off off-color inappropriate comments at the wrong time, right? And he would just, in the middle of class, just start spout off something, you know? And our teacher, though, was so strict, we couldn't laugh, you know? Because you felt like if you laughed, you're in on it, and you're egging him on, right? And so we tried not to laugh, but it was so hard. And our teacher's name was Mrs. Setheimer. Now, even if you're German, that sounds scary, amen? I hope if there's any Setheimers in here, I do apologize, because I'm sure, it's, sure you're a very nice person. But this lady was mean. She was so mean. We were so afraid. We were terrified of her. But not James Miller, man. James Miller was the forerunner of Bart Simpson. <laughs> if you don't think about the Simpsons, you need to find out just, just to know what this kid was. He was the little spike-haired kid, and he, he got in so much trouble, he couldn't even sit with the rest of us. He would be sitting, we'd all be facing the front, and he was like over here. She separated him from us because he would terrorize everyone, but what it did is it gave him an even better platform because we could all see him the whole time. And so he took advantage of this, and every day, it happened every morning without fail, like clockwork. He was preparing for the moment when the hall monitor was chosen. Everyone wanted to be the hall monitor, amen? You all, if you don't know what this is, the hall monitor was the person that didn't really monitor anything, but they got to take the precious attendance slip to the office, they got to get out of class for about two minutes, maybe, and go make the long, long walk all the way down to the office, which is probably 30 feet, maybe, but it was huge. It was a huge honor. Who was going to get chosen to be the hall monitor? And James was ready, always. And so the moment would come, and Miss Sudheimer would say, and today's hall monitor is Trent Thomas. That's my name. I'm thrilled, right? But you know what James does? Here's James in his chair. (laughs) I knew it! I knew it! I knew it! And he was at the same time surprised and incredulous, but knowing it wasn't going to be him, right? But it's like, I knew this is coming. I know she's not going to chose me, but it was holy. He would do it so loud and with such gusto that we all would just laugh so hard we couldn't stop. He knew he wasn't going to be chosen. He knew what Miss Sutheimer was going to do. Well, this morning, we're going to come to Jonah's I knew it moment. Have you ever had an I knew it moment with Jesus? Have you ever had an I knew it moment with God? I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to be. I knew it, God. This is what's happening in Jonah's life. We're, as Phil said, we're completing a series today called Jonah, Engaging the Culture. We're dealing with divine activity 
anger. Divine activity, anger, in Jonah chapter 3, verses 10 through uh, chapter 4, verse 10. And we're looking at Jonah wrestling with what God has done that he doesn't like. Jonah, remember the story, if you're new, you may not know the story, but Jonah was called by God, go to Nineveh, call out against that great city. And Jonah got up and went the opposite direction, and Jonah ran to Tarshish. He ran to something as far away from God as he could, the opposite direction of what God told him to do. Jonah went in the opposite direction, went as far as he could go, or he was going as far as he could go. He wanted something different. He wanted something cool. He wanted an alternative to God. You ever been there? God, I know you want this, but I don't want, I want that. I don't want what you want. I want what I want. Jonah takes off. He gets in a boat. But God in his gracious sovereignty, and you have to understand that word in this, in, this, in this whole book. It's all about God's sovereignty. He is going to have happen what he has decided is going to happen. And he grabs Jonah by the collar and he throws him in the sea in the midst of a storm and Jonah goes down, 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 and some thinks he actually dies and that God brings him back to life. doesn't really matter, but he, he comes very close to death at the very least, and a fish swallows him. And Jonah sees this as God's rescue. Can you imagine being swallowed by a fish and think that's a good thing? I've thrown a lot of bait in the water, and I don't feel like the bait is excited about the process, right? But God rescues him with this fish. And Jonah recognizes that this is God's rescue for me. And God is taking him from the bottom of the ocean and giving him an opportunity to respond. And Jonah does. And he writes this beautiful prayer. He says, I remember you, Lord, at the bottom of the sea. I will fulfill my vow. I will do what you call me to do. In the midst of the belly of the whale or the fish or whatever it is. You've been there? I'm going one way, and I, I realize I need to die to that way, and I need to go where God wants me to go. Jonah says, I'm going to do what you call me to do, God. The whale spits him out on the beach, and Jonah indeed marches 500 miles to the northeast to the town of Nineveh, and he preaches a, about a five-word message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be turned upside down, or Nineveh will be overthrown, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the message. Pretty simple, pretty short. 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. But something happens. The Ninevites, this evil, vicious, murderous, ungodly, pagan society, repents. They respond to a very simple message. And they, they mourn in sackcloth. They even put sackcloth, as this, this, this cloth of mourning, on their animals. That's how much they think, well, they, God give us 40 days. Maybe, maybe we can do something about it. Maybe we can repent. Maybe we can fast. We're going to do whatever we can because we believe we're going to be destroyed. And that's the response to Jonah. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, it says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he, had, he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Never forget, God, as long as this world is in existence, he never rejects a repentant heart. I've said that before, but I don't want anyone to miss that. Whatever you've gone through, 
however far you've gone. Remember, God always responds. There's never a case in Scripture where God doesn't respond to a truly repentant heart. I hope that's encouraging for you today. God always responds. Even, even this pagan nation that worshiped all these crazy gods that did all this nasty stuff, they fall on their face before God in repentance. God responds, and he relents. And then the passage we need to get to is chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew... I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Are you shocked by that passage? Jonah preaches this message to Nineveh. There's incredible response and Jonah is angry. You may be thinking, I don't get it. Why would he not appreciate that they responded to his message? Understand who Jonah is. Jonah is God's mouthpiece for God's people, right? And as a prophet, which is what he was called, you don't, if you preach something, if you prophesy that something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, you're discredited and your career is over and perhaps your life is over. And Jonah could make the case that, God, you told me to say something that was going to happen, but it didn't happen. Now, in reality, when you warn someone you've got 40 days, there is an inferred opportunity for repentance, right? So Jonah is kind of stretching this a little bit. God, you told me to say it's going to be destroyed and it wasn't destroyed, so I'm mad about that. It's not the real problem. It's a little deeper than that. See, closer to the heart of the problem is this. Jonah is now seen as someone who has aided the enemy. Because Tarshish, I mean, I'm sorry, Nineveh and Assyria winds up being, they're, a, they're an enemy of Israel, and they have, in fact, been a problem, and they're going to be a problem. And so now Jonah has this message, they're going to be destroyed, and because he warns them, they're not destroyed. So Jonah's like, I helped the enemy. How can I ever go home to this? My prophecy didn't come true, and my enemy was helped. This is a disaster. This, I don't see how I go forward with this. This doesn't fit into my, my worldview, God. This doesn't fit into what I understand about you. He is furious with God. And more than anything, he just doesn't like the fact that God showed grace on a people that he hates. Let me ask you, you have to kind of get into your own heart here, but is there anybody you hate that much? That you hope God doesn't show grace on them? Is there anybody in your life, any group of people, that that's where you are? He's furious, and he says, I would rather live than die. I don't see a way forward. In verse 4, God says this. The Lord said, 
I love the question. I love the tone of this. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well, Jonah, to be angry? I mean, is Jonah's anger justified? I love that, that question. Do you have an anger at God? Are you displeased with him anywhere? Have you not processed something before God and you're saying, God, I just can't believe you let this happen. God, I just can't believe you haven't met this need. God, I just can't believe you haven't solved this problem. God, I just can't believe I'm at risk in this way. I just can't believe I have this disease. Is there something you're unhappy with God about? Something that he has done, something he has allowed, does not fit into what you want. Do you do well to be angry? When God asks a question, get ready. He's about to answer it. And he's about to answer it in a very real and tangible way, in a powerful way. And he does so in verse 5 and following. Verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Let me pause there. So Jonah makes this sermon. He says, 40 days you're going to be destroyed. The people repent, and God doesn't destroy them. There's some question about what time frame is this that Jonah goes outside of the city to see what was going to happen. And it, it seems like the 40 days has expired. And I think Jonah is probably looking out over the city going, okay, I get your kind of fake repentance you guys have done. You ever did this with anybody? You know, I, I think I've seen your repentance. You haven't really changed. So here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to get over your repentant thing, and you're going to rise up and start sinning the way you always sinned, and God's going to zap you, and I want to be here to see it. But he's angry that God hasn't done it yet. And so he builds himself what they called a booth, and they used to have the, the Feast of Booths, and it was... Uh, a feast where they would actually build these kind of coverings, these, these uh, shelters out of branches, and it was to celebrate harvest. And, and these branches and these leaves would kind of give them shade, but they didn't really last very long. And Jonah was probably not an expert booth builder, and he probably didn't, uh, didn't go to um, Bass Pro Shop and buy a tent. He just went out in the woods, and he got some branches, and he put it together. It was kind of pathetic. And you have to understand, in Assyria... Uh, temperature is about 110 degrees probably during the day, and it's hot, and uh, so he's kind of miserable, uh, but he's kind of got himself shielded. And then in verse 6, God steps in, says, now the Lord God appointed a plant. Notice the sovereignty of God. He just said, hey, plant, I want you to grow, right? God appointed, just like he appointed the fish to rescue Jonah, the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And get this, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah was exceedingly angry about the fact that Nineveh was not destroyed, and he is exceedingly happy about the plant. Are you starting to see the problem here? I'm so mad that you saved Nineveh. I'm so happy that I have a plant. I'm so mad that you let those people live. I'm so happy that I have air conditioning. 
Get it? You seeing what's happening here? Where's Jonah's heart? Where's Jonah's heart at? I'm so happy, God, you gave me this plant. Man, I sure do still hate those Ninevites. And Jonah sees this. The reason he's happy is because not only does it give him shade, which would have been quite beneficial at that time, but he sees this as God's favor. God, if you meet my need, I must be good with you. God, if you give me success, I must be good with you. God, if you make things work out for me, I must be in your favor and everything's going to be okay because you sent the plant as a sign to show that I am, I'm good with you. Listen, be very careful about interpreting events of life that way. I got a raise at work. God must not care about my pornography addiction. No. This relationship worked out. God must not care that I've been cheating and, and, and embezzling out of, from my employer. No. I got a big refund back on my taxes. God must approve of the way I live my life. No, 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 no. No, God is making a point here. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. This doesn't sound good, does it? Is there ever a good story about a worm anywhere? It's not good. Unless it involves silk, I think there's nothing that a worm does. It's, uh, but when dawn came up the next, gate, next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And just know this, this is not unreasonable. There are worms that can cut a plant in half in just a few minutes. And in that environment, that would have withered so fast, and it would have been gone just literally in a few minutes, or maybe even an hour. Um, so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and they had these winds in that part of the world that are so strong, and they blow so much particles of dust that people literally can become disoriented. And there's, there's some, they get really, their minds, they can get depressed just because of this unbelievably harsh warm wind, and that's probably what's happening here. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. All he cares about is manipulating God to meet his need. We've all done it, haven't we? God, I just want you to meet my need. I don't care about those other people out there. Keep me comfortable. Give me air conditioning. God, I don't care about people suffering. But by golly, if you, if you deliver some good air conditioning, I feel like I'm good and I'm fine. I don't worry about those people. Comfort rather than caring is where we can land. And then God makes his point. This is the point of the entire story of the entire book. Jonah chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. He keeps repeating that. Verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
Jonah, let's look at what you value. Let's look at what matters to you. What matters to you is your comfort. What matters to you is your care. What matters to you is your safety. What matters to you is is the fact that you don't have to have this risk from this nation of Syria. That's why you want them wiped out. Jonah, don't you see all you care about is you? Verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And that's the end. Jonah. Jonah, you don't care about these people. There's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and that is an expression. It could mean one of two things. It could mean uh, don't know their right hand from their left. It could mean their children. That's how children were talked about. You don't know the right from their left. They're small children. If that's the case, we're really talking about probably over 600,000 people because obviously children have to have parents and family. It doesn't really matter, but it's a lot of people. And probably more insightful is that these people spiritually are naive. They don't know. They don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They haven't had the privilege of knowing Jonah, don't you care that they don't know me? That's what he's saying. And not only that, but what about all the animals? And he says, I even care about the animals. It's a huge loss, and all you care about is one little plant. It's really Jonah versus Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, what does he do? Build houses. Provide air conditioning. Provide bunch of cash for his... No, it's not it, does he? Jesus provides salvation. He says, I care about saving people. Jonah is interested in air conditioning. God is interested in 120,000 souls. See, that's the difference between how we naturally think, and honestly, that is how we naturally think, and how Jesus thinks. You're caring about your needs. You're caring about your air conditioning. Jesus said, I'm caring about 120,000 people. That's where I am. That's why I came. See, in reality, we have two choices in life. You can be constantly angry and dissatisfied with God, or you can make his will your will. You can be constantly upset and dissatisfied and I can't believe God allowed this. I don't understand what he's doing. The life is hard and then you die. You know, it's terrible. I just can't get anywhere. You can be like that or you can say, God, I want to take on your will. If it costs me my comfort, that's fine because I care about people the way you do. I want your will to be my will. This is carried out throughout Scripture. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world. See, this is how we think. To be conformed to the world is it's all about me. And i got to have all my stuff. And i got to have all my riches. I gotta, it's all about health and wealth. That's what I, I need that, God. That's what you're supposed to give me. I came to get. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, I want to I have your will, not mine. I want to take that into my life, and you're going to have to do this transformation process because that's not how I naturally am, right? 1 Corinthians 2.16, I love this. I don't want my mind, I want his mind. It says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? You ever try to instruct God? Hey, God, I don't know if, I don't know, if you know this, but you missed this. And see, what you need to be doing, God, is you need to be fixing these problems over here for me. I just, I just want, to, I want to help you out, that's all. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying you missed this, God, so I need you to take care of this. And There's still time for you. It's okay. I'm just instructing you, God, what you need to do for me. Whoa. That's Jonah, isn't it? Who can instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We received the gift of salvation through faith and repentance, you receive that gift from Jesus Christ, you have access to the mind of Christ. It's not how you naturally are, it's how you can be in Christ. Romans 8, 28, a lot of you love this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who get God to do what they want Him to do. For those who's, who God who are pleased by what, no, no. It's those who are called according to his purpose, or another version says, are fitting into his plans. Let me ask you, are you fitting into his plans, or are you trying to fit him into your plans? The way to be miserable is to constantly try to fit God into your plans. Rather than saying, God, I, I just want to fit into your plan. I want to be clay in your hands. You do what you want in me. That's all I want, because I want your desires to be my desires. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself, what, in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to delight in you, Lord. I want to be excited. I want, this is my paraphrase of the verse, God, I, you're the coolest thing in my life. You're the most exciting thing in my life. Once you get there... His desires have become your desires. And you're not fighting with him anymore about what's good and what's bad and what he ought to do. See, this is what happened at salvation. When I say yes to Jesus, and some of you this morning probably need to do this, you may have never traded your life for his. You may have never traded your will for his. That moment may never have come when you said, yes, Jesus, would you... Save me. Forgive me of my sin. And give me your life in exchange for mine. Look at Galatians 2.20. We shared this last week. I have been crucified with Christ. Which means I have willingly given up my life sacrificially. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm doing what he wants. I'm allowing him to live through me. It's his will and not my will. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, where Jonah ought to be right now, is he ought to be saying, God, you saved me from the ocean. I'll do whatever. I'm only alive because of you. That's what he calls us to do. 
The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. This morning, I want to challenge you. Will you make his will your will? Will you give up your own will that should have happened at salvation, but maybe you got like Jonah, you had an experience in the belly of a whale, and you went off and you kind of did what, what you thought God wanted you to do, but God then crossed you and you decided, wait a minute, I'm still in charge here. And I still have a will, God. And you've gotten kind of off track. And maybe even just a little bit, you need to say to God, God, I, I want to exchange my will for your will. Are you open to do that today? Because here's what we're going to do in just a moment. Just a moment, we're going to stand. And it's going to be a little uncomfortable, maybe. We're going to stand, and I want you, if you're willing to exchange your will for God's, I just want you to open your hands like this, and we're going to pray that part of the Lord's will, Lord's prayer, the model prayer. You know that prayer? It says, remember that prayer? You prayed it a million times. Thy will be done. Not mine, but thy will be done. Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Del Rey. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless. <laughs>